Welcome to another episode of Taking You to the Top. Join Rami as he spends some time interviewing founders and CEOs from across the globe. He asks them specific questions to learn exactly how they launch their businesses. Before we get started with today's guest. Without further ado. Are you ready to take it to the top? Okay, Jeff, thank you so much for joining me on episode two of Taking You to the Top. Um, thank you, Rami. As a brief inter introduction, my guest today is Jeff Robinson. He's the CEO of Wuhan General Group. It's a publicly listed company with a very interesting story behind it. And Jeff, if you're ready, uh, are you ready to take us to the top? I'm, I'm ready. To, to begin, um, I want to sort of get the mindset or the history behind who Jeff is, first of all, and sure. how, how you started to take the steps until you reached Wuhan General Group. I'm sure it's a, it's a very rich history. So if you wouldn't mind uh, telling us a bit about the process to getting to where you are today. Sure. So I grew up in Toronto. I went to, uh, I went to a French school there and uh, I went to York University, took economics. I was pretty young. I, at the time I was, uh, I was also teaching tennis and uh, I enjoyed teaching tennis and making some good money on the side. And, and I was very young when I finished, I was only uh, 18. I was trying to decide what do I do? Right. And one thing I always loved and I had been doing for a long time is the capital market. So my father had always been an investor in the stock market. I had been doing it myself uh, since probably the age of uh, nine or 10. And uh, it was instilled at us at a very young age. We were reading The Economist, The Wall Street Journal every day and the business section of the, the local Toronto Globe and Mail. And, and uh, we, we, you know, my two brothers and I, that's what we did. We loved it. And uh, so at the, at the age of 18, I went out, got my license, became a stockbroker, uh, started out as, as most do in the retail environment. And uh, from retail, eventually I moved over to uh, the institutional side. So dealing with uh, the banks as clients, the fund managers. Um, and then from that side, I went actually into desk trading, floor trading, where you're actually executing the orders and, and eventually into the liability trading side where you're, you're uh, managing the money of the firm and uh, making investments based on uh, what you think you should be doing with the firm's money. Right. So uh, from there, I had always, you know, I'd always enjoyed medicine, biotechnology, and it was very interesting because after, after Toronto, I, was, I think I was maybe in my late 20s, somewhere around there, and I, I wanted to get out of the brutal winters that Toronto has. And <laughs> so Florida was my destination of choice. Uh, I moved to Florida and uh, I was going to try and figure out kind of what is stage two in my life. And uh, stage two actually became right back into trading again. We opened up an operation in uh, both Florida and the Bahamas for trading options. So uh, we were calling markets on newly uh, traded IPOs in the biotechnology sector, which again was interesting because I had the ability to, not only the ability, but we needed to interview potential newly listed IPOs that were coming out on NASDAQ to see whether or not we actually wanted to call markets on their stocks, option markets. Right. So uh, it was interesting because you had to do a lot of due diligence in the company, learn a lot about what they were up to, where they were going. 
So I, I really enjoyed that. Did that for uh, the better part of, uh, you know, seven or eight years, somewhere around there. Uh, then returned back to Toronto, uh, trying well, actually, to find if there was anything before, there. Before you moved to Florida, how many years did you, were you trading in Toronto? About uh, 12 years, somewhere, I'm somewhere in there. When you get up to when you're in your <laughs> mid-50s and a little bit beyond, <laughs> you tend to forget, you know, is it 10 years, 12 years? Somewhere like 10 years, 12 years. Okay. So, so then, uh, so I was in, in Florida and the Bahamas. I, I had... Uh, residents in both places and I did that for about eight nine years somewhere around there and then back to Toronto to see whether or not there was something there that uh, you know caught me caught my eye and, and got me interested and and you know Toronto's a great place but it really is great for the pillars of the economy like the insurance industry the banking industry and and those types of things and that's not something that that really uh, got me going every day it's not something that would scream at me and say, you got to get out of bed and, you know, get into that insurance industry, which oddly <laughs> enough, that was the industry my dad was in. So uh, he was in the insurance industry for, for numerous number and number of decades. But um, uh, so I, I went back and I, you know, spent a year or two trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, and up came an opportunity in Las Vegas. So went out to Las Vegas and spent four and a half years there in the technology sector. Uh, that was a phenomenal, uh, interesting ride. Vegas is an interesting place. It's not like people think you don't live on the, the strip where all the, you know, casino is, and all the casinos are. I mean, you're, you live up towards the mountainside. It's very, very beautiful. Um, and uh, the casino stuff is fun if that's what you do. I don't, you know, gamble and stuff. But I must say, like, going to the shows really was a treat. So you know, going to some of these incredible shows that are hosted. And as a resident, you tend to get incredible deals on, uh, on ticket prices. So uh, I did attend the shows. That was fun. Golfing there was great. Tennis was great. Stuff like that. And then after four and a half, five years, back to Toronto again. And the same thing, not much happening. And well, for, for me, at least, not much happening. And uh, But then my eldest brother uh, had moved to Barcelona. And uh, he had moved there with his wife and three children. And he said, he said, you've got to come here and check out uh, Barcelona. And uh, being a British citizen, I'm a, a dual Canadian and British citizen. I was able to go and, and live there, no, no problems. And I did, and I got to tell you, I fell in love with it almost immediately. Uh, I've now been there for a total of nine years, going on my ninth year. Wow. And it is a wonderful, wonderful city that uh, that has almost almost everything that that i like uh the one thing that that it lacks a little bit of is that entrepreneurial get up and go and let's make stuff happen it's it quite laid back a little bit there, right? sorry it's quite laid back yeah it, it tends to be <laughs> it tends to be a lot laid back so uh you know from a lifestyle point of view the culture the history and all those things the people Amazing. I mean, it really is out of this world. I've never experienced anything like it, but you nailed it. I mean, from the standpoint of business, they are very laid back. It's very manana. Like there's no hurry for that. We'll do that <laughs> one day. And uh, so. Well, we have we the started, same thing here in the Middle East. It, yeah, laid back. We say inshallah, which means if God wills, basically tomorrow. Right, right. So, uh, 
so when we started thinking about this whole idea, and this will take us into kind of the, the journey going forward, this whole idea of the cannabis space and, and stuff like that, uh, you know, it, 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 I had to answer the question to myself, like, where should we be in order to do that, which would be kind of a good segue to go into the next little bit of the next journey. Right. But I knew that I couldn't do it in Spain. And I, uh, I had already been an investor in many cannabis companies, um, which was fun. It was exciting. There was a big, you know, rah, rah, rah going on and things did well. Um, but corporately, things didn't do well. And that's what I, I kind of thought, you know, there's an opportunity here to build a company based around science and research uh, that backs real products that are going to market where we're not just throwing a product on the shelf and hoping and praying it's going to work. So I thought about, you know, where would that be? Where, if I was to do that, where could I do that that would make a lot of sense? And the landscape in the U.S. and stuff just didn't make sense at all. The, the, the cost of getting a product to the shelf and doing it properly was very prohibitive. The, the cost of doing, well, not only the cost of doing research, but to do any type of research, again, is prohibitive in terms of uh, how much it costs or the capital required. And then the talent as well, organizing talent, getting everything done. It's hard to do. And unless you have a massive budget, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's better to look somewhere else. Right. And what dawned on me was, wow, what about underneath where we're all living? We're all living up here in the Northern Hemisphere. You know, what's going down in Africa? And we had read certain things, you know, like Canopy buying a big property in Africa up in Lesotho and, and things like that and Aurora getting a little bit involved in Africa. And I started to say, huh, maybe it's time to go to Africa and have a sniff around. So that leads us into maybe the next journey, if you want to, uh, or if you want me to just keep on going, Ron, no, whatever you'd like. Absolutely. I'm sure that's, you're heading towards Wuhan, uh, your company. So sure. I mean, that we, can, we can get into the details of the company, if you don't mind. Perfect. Perfect. So, so uh, what does Wuhan do and what are you trying to achieve through? Perfect. So... So when I, uh, when I, during this time in uh, Barcelona, I was very active in the startup community world um, with Dr. Anna. And Dr. Anna is my partner in MJ MedTech, which eventually became Wuhan. And um, so we had always discussed if we were to launch a brand in the cannabis space, medicinal cannabis, and a, and a brand based on cosmetics, CBD, pharmaceutical grade, uh, CBD cosmetics, what would that brand look like? What is everybody else doing and how can we be different and have something that, that goes to the market that has a big differentiator that's premium? And so we were toying around with, you know, different names. And, and I always, I said to Animal, I said, you know, and I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Rami. I'm going to send you, you ready for this? If you can answer this question, I'm going to send you a million dollars cash right now. If you know Dr. Phil's last name, you don't know it. Nobody does, but you know, you know who Dr. Phil is, right? I do. Yeah. Everybody knows Dr. Phil. He's the but guy. What that shows me is that. What's that? He's the, he's the doctor who's always on Oprah. Absolutely. So you, everybody knows Dr. Phil. He's built an incredible brand just around being Dr. Phil. So, but nobody knows his last name. And what it showed me was that, 
you can build a great brand, something that's unique and interesting by just using the first name. So we started thinking it through and we started thinking, well, what if we just called the brand Dr. Anna? And what if we built this very cool persona around a doctor that has truly done the research behind her products and is willing to, to step up and back those products with the research that we're conducting? And it started to all come together. And, you know, furthermore, it's very difficult to pronounce for most people a long Spanish name. So if you were to go to the shelf and you saw, you know, Dr. Anna's full name on there, it might be Dr. Anna Morera Leralta. <laughs> and that would be a little bit of a mouthful. So it'd be much easier to look at a product and say, wow, I'm going to get a bottle of the Dr. Anna, you know, day cream, night cream, whatever it may be. Right. So we did a little bit of testing and we started uh, when we would introduce Anna to people, we would refer to as just Dr. Anna. And people started responding to that and people would follow up with emails and just calling her Dr. Anna. And fast forward, here we are two and a half, two and a half years later almost, or yeah, two and a half years later, and people just referred to her as Dr. Anna, which is super interesting because you and I both know that nobody, if you were a Dr. Rami, no one would call you Dr. Rami at the hospital. Right. They would refer to you as your last name or Dr. Robinson, but not Dr. Jeff. So, but yet with Anna, it's Dr. Anna. <laughs> and they probably won't know her so, last name either. <laughs> well, I know, exactly. So, so we kind of thought about, you know, how do we if, we, if we were to imagine putting that product on the shelf, what would make it really stand out? And uh, actually, if you indulge me for one second, let me just get a, 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 a package. One second. Absolutely. So, so what we thought was interesting was this is the, the it's kind of the, the medicinal style packaging. Um, and it's just, the brand is called Dr. Anna RX. And this is one of the line. And what we wanted to have that visual of when you go to the shelf and you're looking and you're thinking CBD pharmaceutical, well, you're not thinking pharmaceutical, but you're thinking CBD products. Right. What's out there? How can it help me? Out there are plenty of, you know, uh, Johnny's surfer oil, CBD, whatever it is, or, you know, Bob's CBD oil that's made in his garage. And unfortunately, there's been plenty of that that's been, you know, thrown onto the, the shelves of the marketplaces. I mean, are they and unfortunately are they a lot, actually, a lot of it. Huh? I was just going to ask that. How difficult is it? to get a CBD product on the shelf? Is it by licenses and a very long process or uh, I, I don't so, know what the process would look like? Right, and that'll take me to the next question after, which will be why South Africa? Why Africa, why South Africa? So, and it's a great question. And it was, it was a big, huge point into our decision-making of launching here. But, but, to, but, but just to finish up with the, the brand, if you were to go into the store and you're looking at all these crazy oils or creams or whatever that, that have nothing truly behind it, you know, and then you're able to look at the, the science and, and look at this as backed by a doctor, I can assure you that you're going to most likely reach for the Dr. Anna brand uh, as opposed to Billy Bob Surfer Oil CBD. Exactly. And um, so that, that was what we did in, in making this brand. And for us, it was truly, truly important again to make sure that everything we do within the brand 
is all, so it's pharmaceutical grade CBD, but every, all of the ingredients that are used, all organic, everything is top-notch quality, absolutely everything. And then, um, yeah, and here's a, and here's like the poster of the, the Dr. Anna brand and there's Dr. Anna herself. And so we're, we're, um, yeah, I think we're about to launch this on your website. Yeah, perfect. And we're about to launch this now in, well, as soon as the lockdown in South Africa is finished, we're now moving to lockdown three position tomorrow. It gives us a little bit more freedom to walk around, but we're still tied up just like many of the, you know, regions. Um, but we're getting there slowly but surely. And we're hoping, you know, truth be known, it, it's probably not going to be till October. I mean, anyone that thinks it's going to happen next month or it's just not going to happen next month. And that's a good thing. We have to be careful and baby steps are fine. Sure. And the baby steps that they'll take tomorrow, in my opinion, are the right baby steps. And every, you know, month or month and a half, let's get to lockdown one and, and everything will be fine. So I'm, I'm happy with that. And, and quite frankly, I haven't, we, you know, we continue to work on our products, product innovation, uh, everything, the marketing side, everything that we need to do anyway, it hasn't stopped us from doing that. So we're delighted about that. But in terms of your question, you know, how easy is it to get on a shelf or, uh, you know, what are the different rules and regulations? And then I'll, I'll take that, Rami, and, and go into why we're in South Africa. Uh, or the difficulty, or what do you need to do in, in terms of launching a CBD-based product? Yeah, and, and uh, to get it on the shelf. And uh, it's a great question. And it's one that, uh, you know, we went through, Anna and I went through a lot of thinking about, you know, should we launch in North America? Should we launch in Europe? Or those at the time were really the two choices. And we thought about all the troubles and the, the trials and tribulations that so many had gone through in launching in the US, Canada, it was an absolute mess because every state had a different rule, a different law. Um, there was no clarity around truly what you could do. A lot of the states, you can't take it from one state to the next. Yeah. I mean, bottom line is it was a big, big mess. And until they get their rules and regulations at the federal level all cleaned up, it still is a big, huge mess. So the US was out of the question for me. Canada similar it, it even though it's much more of a government regulated situation at the moment it wasn't somewhere where i wanted to launch uh europe was is still a mess as it stands today um france germany uh you know different ideas everywhere portugal so for europe it didn't for the moment the the rules and regulations for me were not clear enough and what happened was it was most interesting um it when I, when I heard, when I started thinking about Africa, I said, huh, maybe there's something there. And that's when, uh, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's in my DNA to go be very curious and do what others don't. So I jumped on a plane, came down here, had a great look around and started seeing that the opportunities here just made so much sense. I mean, let's face it, cannabis came from Africa. I mean, you could argue that there were other places in the world as well, but generally speaking, you know, it was here first. And then you look at the climate, you look at the soil, you look at everything, the cost of, of growing the herb here, the cost of uh, labor, the cost of uh, the uh, people in the agricultural side to manage it, the lead people you would need to grow it, all of that stuff. I started saying, this is crazy. If, if these numbers are correct, we can do all this at one-tenth 
of the cost of doing this in the US or you know, California where they're, or Toronto or just outside of Toronto, I'm thinking half the year it's like minus you know, 50 Celsius. Like why would you ever want to do this in Canada when you have a place like Africa or others? So, so just like a, as a learning point here, yeah. what you had to do was be curious, leave your comfort zone, and there's plenty of options around the world that are totally. much better than where you were originally located. A hundred percent, Rami, and, and thank you for that. And, uh, you know, I, it's funny, I've always been known as a contrarian's mind. I read a blog under that. It's my moniker on Twitter. I've been using it forever. And I've always looked at things differently, or at least tried to. And when I feel there's a big herd mentality in some direction, I run. And I know that that's wrong, and I'm going to go the opposite direction. Right. And it may be painful at first, but eventually that becomes the winning solution. And, and that's what we saw in the U.S. and Canada. Everyone flooded the market with a ton of garbage, you know, big hype, rah, 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 and look where we are today in the cannabis industry. But the good thing about that is it did bring a lot of awareness. It did raise a lot of capital, which all got burnt, basically. But it now makes for great opportunities. So potentially there are some good uh, acquisition targets in the CBD space for us, maybe. Um, and also one thing that we had never entertained before was actually being a cultivator of medicinal cannabis. We didn't entertain that because it's not something that really interested me uh, from the economic point of view, Canada, US, the cost were just too crazy. And in, in South Africa at the time, uh, the valuations that Canopy came in and paid and one other came in and paid made no sense. Canopy came in basically with a big open checkbook. They wanted to make a big footprint. They did. They bought their property up in Lesotho and paid. They way overpaid for, for a piece of land. But they needed to do it in order to stoke the fire, keep it going, and keep the big story going. Right. So, you know, you can look at it two ways. Uh, <laughs> they kept the story going and raised a ton of money. But by the same token, they were overpaying for assets all over the place. And this was one of them. So it never interested me in the last two years to do that in South Africa. What did interest me and where I saw the money was in brand building and in the processing of CBD uh, and, and really going out and building great products. So I'm just gonna fast forward and I can't get too much into it, but I'll fast forward just a, a bit. And here we stand today and it's quite likely, uh, I'll say that, uh, I'll say that it's, uh, well, let me put it this way. Uh, we are looking at a, uh, one of the, well, the largest cultivator of cannabis in all of Africa uh, as a very interesting target. We'll just leave it at that. Wow. And, um, and that would propel us very quickly to, to have a large footprint globally. Okay. So, um, so that, that looks interesting because the valuations for those properties are truly maybe, uh, I would say, about 20% of what they were. Wow. So you factor that in with a RAND that went down close to 35% in the last five months. We're picking up assets that are extremely cheap. And, uh, and the payback on this is extremely quick. So it's phenomenal. And uh, that is something that, uh, you know, we're definitely fully engaged in doing at the moment. And we'll see what happens, you know, pending due diligence, which is ongoing at the moment. So that area has become very interesting for us. I mean, since we're talking about valuations and such, uh, 
Would you mind telling me if uh, Wuhan was a self-funded company or if you raised capital? In the no, it's a great question. Thanks, Ronnie. It has been totally self-funded. We haven't taken any money from anybody. And uh, we have done, we've been very quiet essentially about what we've done in the last two years. And I'll, I'll just, I'll get back to, not get back to, but I'll introduce why it's called Wuhan. And people are probably wondering, you know, how confusing is that? But uh, it, it, to answer your question, it's all been self-funded. We haven't taken any money from anybody at the moment. It is possible soon at some point that some key strategic investors would become investors in the company. Um, so uh, go back a minute as to, you know, why are we Wuhan? Uh, when Dr. Nan and I had created uh, MJ MedTech, uh, that's where our IP was for the, the company, which at the time in the early days was strictly cannabis, but is now a mixture of cannabis and medicinal mushrooms. So medicinal cannabis, medicinal mushrooms, I'll get into that a bit later. Um, and we had created the company MJ MedTech with the IP, and we were looking for a traded vehicle, so what we call a shell company, that was you know, basically up and trading or could be trading. Uh, and of course, there are always skeletons when you buy these, these penny stock uh, uh, you know, vehicles that are out there. And there were in this case, just like any of them. So our time frame and horizon was we did not need a shell that was up and trading immediately. Uh, meaning, you know, a perfectly clean vehicle that we were needing to raise a bunch of money for because we're self-funded. So we knew that it would take some time to clean up the financials and get the legal opinions that are necessary and get all the filings up to date. And we were prepared to spend that time and effort to, to do it properly. And the company that we had identified, the shell company, was this company called Wuhan General China, which two years ago, had, it had no bearing on anything. Yeah. And we didn't know, I mean, you know, who knew? And uh, <laughs> so all of a sudden, as we all know, September, October, November, December rolls around last year, and there's a little bit of, you know, Wuhan, and like, whoa, 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 December, January, February, it's like, whoa. And March, and we're getting calls all over the place wondering, you know, who are we, why are we called Wuhan? And so, you know, from an SEO standpoint, if anyone were to market our company from the SEO standpoint, they could have done extremely well. Um, <laughs> but uh, that, that was never kind of our goal or purpose in the last couple of years. Our goal and purpose was to build out incredible brands and make sure that our, our science and research was ongoing. And uh, the science and research uh, specifically, and I'll, I'll maybe just touch on the, the magic uh, mushroom, medicinal mushroom side for one minute. Um, for close to 18 months, we've been working on, on clinical trial work. So that would be the in vitro and in vivo in animal studies using psilocybin. And uh, we're now uh, approaching our human trials later this year, early next year. Uh, that's depending on, of course, lockdown, you know, uh, freeing up South Africa so we can actually get doing it. Um, we're one of only a handful of people in the world that are actually able to touch psilocybin and do clinical trial work with it. Um, and we're, we're proud of that and the work that we've done. Uh, we're going to be presenting the findings from the in vitro and in vivo studies in September in Europe. And uh, it's very exciting, very exciting work. And uh, the results have been remarkable in terms of what we found and what we're going after. So um, we're delighted about that. 
And the science part of it itself, it, it really can, hopefully it can change the methodology of, of how people deal with two particular diseases at the moment, where there hasn't been a, a change in the regimen that's currently given by doctors to treat patients with those diseases. And uh, it's about time after 40 something years that a change is done. And uh, that's what we're working towards. The final end result is commercialization of, of a drug uh, from psilocybin, from a magic mushroom. Incredibly interesting. Ah, to, just to finish up, sorry, Rami, the, I forgot one thing and that is, so people are probably wondering, are you gonna to continue to call yourself Wuhan General? And the answer to that is no. <laughs> So, so this week, actually, this coming week, we are doing, uh, uh, there'll be a lot of great things with uh, uh, name change and all these filings that we need to do with FINRA, who are the people that manage all these things for publicly traded companies. And uh, we're getting all that stuff into action this week. And it's going to be great. We're excited. We, and now the time is right. Um, there's been some uh, excitement that's been created in the psychedelic space up in Toronto, uh, there are a few companies up there recently that have gone public that have raised some good capital. Their stocks have performed extremely well. Um, some of these stocks up there have, have gone up 10, 20 X in the last couple month, months. So, um, you know, we're, uh, we're excited about that. So it's created some good excitement and, and that helps us. Uh, we truly hope though that, you know, in the, we truly hope that, you know, it doesn't go down the route of cannabis where there were a lot of, you know, events, you know, around partying, the kind of the the, the recreational side of cannabis and everyone just getting stoned all the time. That's, that's not what we do. And uh, we certainly don't condone that whatsoever. Uh, the taking of, you know, magic mushrooms on a recreational level uh, for anyone that's not an expert or does not have, you know, medical assistance that's been approved uh, is just, at the moment, it's just uh, insanity to be doing that stuff. But I'm sure you so, can um, that by the way it's packaged, uh, the way it's formulated, right? So, so well, that's that's what we're working on currently. Yeah, we're working on the methodology for for delivering the dosing. Right. So, um, uh, it's 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 super important, of course, and uh, you know it, these people, unfortunately, they take it too lightly. They take it like a you know, wow, it's 1960s again, and everyone should just go out and do mushrooms and you'll feel better. You know, that's not the way we should be looking at this. We should be looking at it like, let's get some money going in the right hands so that these people can conduct the, the serious research and come up with the, hopefully the great results that can truly help people, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but in the coming years, two, three, four, five years down the road, where we have new medications that could help people with it might be a cluster headaches. It could be blood pressure. It could be, uh, you know, deep depression, PTSD, things like that, alcoholism. Um, and that's what we need to be thinking about, not thinking about, you know, hey, it's okay to do this at home by yourself and you'll feel better. It's not a magic pill um, that you should be fooling around with or messing with. Right. That's fantastic. I mean, yeah. I see you're moving quickly, which is probably key, especially in the situation that we're currently in. Instead totally. of you know, letting the situation stop all work until uh, yeah. the future. Well, the, the, good, the, the good thing for us in, our, in terms of the, 
we had just finished on the animal trials. So we just finished in vivo animals back in uh, late February. So when the lockdown started two weeks later, March 17th, we didn't need the lab at that moment. So, and, and in fact, we haven't needed the lab at all just yet. So you do pre-enrollment, uh, you do all the necessary steps to prepare for the human trial. That can all be done at the comfort of one's home <laughs> and you don't need to be in the lab at the moment. So our timing was really lucky. I do know a lot of studies that are currently going on, not just in, in this space, but in many spaces where they were halfway through or a third of the way through and boom, they had to shut down. And that's a real shame, a real shame. I, I wanted to know actually from conceptualizing this business to where you're at today. I mean, I think you mentioned two and a half years, but would it have been shorter if you didn't have to wait for all of the processes that need to take place? No, you know, it's funny. You, uh, I mean, I guess in life, we try to justify everything all the time anyway, right? So when I say that, you know, Corona for us hasn't really hurt us, well, I'm justifying it by saying, and it's part of my work ethic and attitude, I'm not going to let it hurt us, meaning I'm just going to continue working no matter what. Just because I'm at home doesn't mean I'm going to stop and tell everyone else to stop. We need to continue moving forward. And we do. So when, when we look at it, could we have gone faster or slower or what have you? I'm, I'm delighted where we are today. In fact, where we are today, I mean, I have meetings here where people come, we have a coffee, I'll make a coffee in my flat here and we'll go meet by the pool and we'll do the social distancing and keep the mask on and we'll have a meeting for three hours, even though technically you're not supposed to be able to do that. But I'm not, you know, we're, we're, we definitely sit, you know, feet apart. You know, one guy's on one chair, I'm over here. We have our mask on and, you know, we'll look at different product innovations that we're working on and we have a great meeting and, and it works out well. I mean, so I, you know, we do what we need to do to keep on advancing and, where we are today, we're delighted. We really are happy. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. I, ha I have a question regarding your team size. So you mentioned that your partner was Dr. Anna. Uh, sure. You have other people on the team as well? We do. And uh, this week will be a good week for us. We'll be making, uh, uh, we'll be making news this week about some, some great key hires. And uh, so they're, the team is expanding, and that's why... It's funny how I said that the, the timing was right in terms of all these things coming together. And, you know, a lot of things wouldn't have come together had it maybe been January, February, or March. It's, it's just, I don't know why maybe things got aligned for us really well. And, and uh, like I said, this week, uh, we will be making uh, some key hire announcements, which is great. So we'll wait for that news to come out. And uh, on the team, we also have... Uh, the, the original CEO of the shell, uh, Rami, he's got your name, so there's another Rami. Um, yeah, he, uh, he was the original CEO and he's now assisting in the, in kind of the, the handover and the transformation and everything of, of everything to myself and Dr. Anna. We have Luca who's on board as well. And then these other, I mean, this week there'll be, uh, it'll be four new people joining. So we kind of go from four people to eight which is nice, and it's going to really, uh, uh, it's going to make a dent quickly for us as to 
where we stand today and where we'll be in the next, you know, year end, let's say the next six months. Fantastic. So yeah. when, when growing your company, uh, from what you've mentioned, now is the time for marketing. How are you approaching the marketing? So for example, if we have somebody starting their own business and they want to, I don't want to say launch, but they want to go to the correct, most effective marketing channel. Cool. What are you question. doing? Either free marketing, paid marketing, uh, specific strategic partnerships, or anything question. conventional? Right. So on our team, uh, I make sure that everyone is somehow involved personally in the marketing of the company at all times. Right. And if you're not there to back up your own brand that you are behind, then you probably should go work at another brand. And I, I make it a point of getting everyone active in what we're doing. But funny you asked that question around me because Wednesday, or this coming week, I let it slip out. I said wind, <laughs> but anyway, this coming week, um, uh, there'll be a press release and we'll be announcing a new head of marketing and communication. And, and it is such an important role. And we've been doing it all along, but never really systematically put the process in place as to what does that actually mean and what is the deliverable that that actually means on an ongoing basis and in the early days of any you know startup which we are you you don't have the resources to to have all that manpower and and marketing and stuff and again for us it was always about the science first product development second build great products and do great research then when you have a bunch of that put together and you're ready to start telling your story, then you build out from the marketing perspective. On the you know, paid for, not paid for, we don't have any reason at the moment to use any paid for marketing uh, for our products, which would be the Medspresso line of coffee, tea, and hot chocolates. Uh, and we don't have any need to do it on the Dr. RX products just yet. However, likely, just like anybody in that industry with a consumer-facing brand, we will get to that stage. But in the next six months, I don't foresee it. We will have a big footprint on the retail shelves all across Africa. Africa is an enormous place to conduct business. No, you know, Needless to say, most people don't understand that, but it's the opportunities here are huge. And not only that, we'll be one of only you know, one or two or three in the, in the marketplace. And if I was to launch, if we were to launch in the U.S., I, we would be one of 3,000 in the marketplace. Here, if you go on the shelf of one of the biggest stores in all of South Africa, if you go to a Discam or one of those stores, there are only two or three products with CBD on the, on the shelf. That's it. Very so instead, instead of being one of 3,000, we'll make our big footprint by being the best out of one of three or four. So. And, and a great, and when you talk about marketing, it's actually interesting, Rami, is a great big deal of our marketing will be done by Dr. Anna in what's called doctor training. And the doctor training is so important that none of the other brands and products do. And that is when an actual doctor shows up at the pharmacy or the retail store and does training for the people in those locations. You know, teaching, teaching the people, you know, what is the product? What are the benefits? Why our product is, is what it is. Why, it, you know, 
why we make this claim and we say what it does and here's how it does it. And so she's going to be doing that full doctor training going from pharmacy to pharmacy to pharmacy. And I can tell you from experience that the majority of, of products on the shelf do not do that whatsoever because they don't have a doctor behind the product. But even more importantly, they just don't, they don't think about it. They think it's okay. Do paid for marketing. You spend five bucks, you know, people spend eight bucks. You do get the delivery life of the customer. What should that mean? How much money should come in? But eventually that game comes to an end if you're not backing it up with a great product. If people aren't using your product and getting results, they're not going to come back eventually. For sure. So, so that's, that's a bit about our marketing. Fantastic. And do you have any strategic partnerships coming up or is it still too early to discuss that? I'm wondering if you're reading our press releases. So, <laughs> so there, there is a, uh, uh, there is a, a, one of the new appointees is, his title is head of strategic partnerships. So, there we go. and yeah, that's so weird. And, and he, uh, he comes from, I won't tell you the name, you'll be able to see it soon, but uh, he does come from one of the early players in the CBD space uh, that was one of the very early players uh, in the online arena with CBD products. Uh, he was one of the you know early four guys at the company, and he built that thing uh, successfully from you know a, a market cap of almost you know three million bucks or whatever to to about eight hundred million. Wow. So. Yeah, I mean, that's quite a, you know, quite a, a little, you know, growth spurt <laughs> in market cap. And, uh, you know, back then, it, everyone knew their product well. Um, it did do well, but there was typical kind of of the industry at the time. There were maybe uh, a few too many cowboys hanging around that, that maybe didn't care so much about the product as they did about only the stock price and and things like that. And and uh, so, so that's kind of what maybe happened there. I won't say that that is what happened. I'll leave to others to make up their own mind. But what I do like is the guy that is coming aboard. He's got a tremendous experience in logistics and supply chain management, tremendous experience in compliance areas uh, and just due diligence because he was there from day one of a company that grew from zero to a market cap of 800 million. So he's, he's got a lot that he's learned that he's going to be bringing to our organization and extremely delighted to have him aboard i mean once he's on board he might be a very interesting person for me to talk to as well absolutely oh he certainly will be because he not only did that he had a i won't tell he had a 10-year stint at one of the major news organizations in the world as a as a he's an engineer by trade a media and a sound engineer okay. and he had a 10-year stint at one of the media uh, media organizations that's on television all day long it's either this channel or this channel that people watch, the one on the left or the one on the right. It's one of those two. And so he was one of the major guys there. And he has so many great stories about life at that uh, news organization and, and how things should work, especially in the media side and how to get buyer attention. And his, his experience of coming to the company is going to be absolutely wonderful. It really is. And absolutely, I'll mention to him that, uh, you know, for sure you could do a, you could do a great call with him. Very, very interesting guy. That would be perfect. 
So uh, if you don't mind, uh, I have the famous five questions so that sure. you can get an overview of who Jeff Robinson is. <laughs> so what's your favorite business book? And I'm going to take notes. Ah, ah, good question. So I, I love to uh, listen to books on audio. So I love listening to Audible. And in my library, I have close to about 250 books on Audible. It's a lot, actually, when you think about it. That's a lot of hours. That is a lot of hours. But we need to cut yeah. that and, one book. <laughs> and and I, do, I do listen to them again and again. And it depends on, my, on my, how I'm feeling at the moment. Sometimes, I, you know, I, I work hard. I, I get up very early. I get up at 4.35 a.m., and I, I work till about 9 p.m. every night. That's all I do, but I love it. It's not that I, I do it because I truly love it. And I work until I'm almost, you know, passed out and that's it. And, you know, I do have a little bit of social time too. And my social time would be live theater and stuff and reading, listening to books. And depending on how I'm feeling, like I'm actually listening again now to the story of Captain Sully, the guy that landed uh, the airplane on the Hudson. Right. And because of my passion for airplanes and how they work and the engineering behind them, I love listening to that story and, and how I can only put myself in his shoes. Imagine, you know, him knowing he's not going to make it and the amount of how calm he was when he was on, you know, speaking to air traffic control or speaking to, uh, I forget which airport it was, but uh, I mean, in New York, but I forget which one, but telling them, you know, I'm about to come in. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to lay on the water. And, you know, and people, you know, there's air traffic control saying, excuse me? He's like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm going to land it on the water. We'll see what happens. <laughs> you know, it's like, so um, I like listening to all sorts of books. And for me to say I have truly one favorite um, I mean, would not do it justice. I, I love, so that's, a, that's anything to do with climbing mountains and airplanes. I love stories like that. So I would truly recommend to listen to the Sully, Captain Sully. I love it. Um, if you're into that stuff, um, any, anything related, sorry, any specific business book, business related, uh, yeah, any specific bit there again. I mean, what I love most about business, well, uh, Jack Welch, I believe one of the greatest leaders ever. And he wrote a few books and his time at general electric and what he built. Um, I love that. I, I love I, I love stories much about or more to do with the psychology of business. So in other words, how do you move people to an action? Exactly. What do we have to do to get someone to do something? And that's what in my mind, true leadership is all about. It's about getting people to do things. And um, so I love listening to some of the great books out there that, that are philosophy books that probably people go, whoa, that's pretty boring. But when you, when you listen to them, I listen to them when I go to bed and I, 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 I get all excited. It's like, oh, wow, yeah, I get to go to bed now. And I get up there and I, I put on my book and I know within 30 minutes I'm, I'm out like a light anyway, but I know I'll catch some snippets within, you know, the first 15 minutes and I'm passed out, but I'll catch something about one of the great philosophers and I'll, I'll go, wow, what a great point that is. And I keep a little pad and a pen beside my bed so I'll be able to write it down quickly. 
Yeah, and, and I think it's great that you go to bed educating yourself and get your brain thinking about good things. Sure. And, uh, and, and that's what I love to do. So I do most of my reading, <laughs> uh, you know, through audio books. Um, but like I said, I, I really truly don't have one favorite. I wouldn't do justice to all, the, all of them that I do enjoy. I love so many of them. I mean, Warren Buffett, his books, you know, Steve Jobs, uh, recently the Nike book, uh, 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 Paul, uh, what's it, Phil Knight, the, or Phil Knight, no, uh, who's the Nike guy? I forget his name, but, you know, books like that, I love them all. Um, and then I love books about uh, John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors wrote books about their careers in tennis. And, I mean, those are so interesting. I loved listening to them because it brought back great memories. Uh, so, I mean, it's, Rami, you got me on that one. It's a hard one to answer to nail it down to one. Um, yeah, I like them all. I hope I, I, I hope I gave you a few ideas. No, I got, I have an, a few ideas written down. No worries. Good. Good. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? I would have to say, yeah, I mean, uh, I would have to say that I really do like Jeff Bezos. I think that this guy is a cool cat. Um, I would also say that Mark Zuckerberg has really matured and molded himself, I'm sure with great help, but all these guys get great help. They, and, they, and that's smart. They need help. And Mark Zuckerberg has, has molded himself into a great leader. People will probably disagree with both those choices. And, you know, but I look at it like, you know, these guys have provided incredible platforms that have been world changing yes. you know people say oh geez amazon's like a monopoly well it is what it is he built that platform you know from from zero to where it is and look at the amount of wealth creation you know he's he's well the wealth that he's created for not only himself but for everybody for everybody absolutely. so any anyone that's been an investor or all the people that have jobs because of jeff bezos or I mean, my hat tip, I give the guy a big hat tip. I think he's great. And Zuckerberg on the other side, I think that that guy's been through, you know, been through the ringer a bunch of times where he's been called up to testify at Senate hearings and things like that. And, and probably deservingly so, only because, you know, the, the, the people in the Senate are, are much older and they probably need a lesson in, you know, what is Facebook? I mean, what do these guys do? So it was probably a good thing, but I would say those two guys, I think are, are people that I do like to read about. But my all-time favorite, all-time favorite guy would have to be Warren Buffett. I love how simple his, his way of looking at investments are. I mean, of course they get much, much deeper and due diligence and everything, but someone says to him, look, you know, hey, what do you think of Bitcoin? And he, he sits there and says, well, I got no clue what they do, so they'd never invest in it. And then the story of, you know, Stanfield underwear, I think it was Stanfield underwear that he bought, but, you know, somebody said, hey, you know, here's an underwear company, you should buy it. And he goes, underwear, I like that. We all wear underwear. I think we'll all wear underwear for years to come. What company is it? Well, it's this one. Okay, why should I buy it? Well, it makes this type of money every year and the return could be this. I like that idea. Are they for sale? They are. Okay. Is it a big discount? Let me look. And he looked and he said, listen, I'm all in. I'll buy an underwear company any day of the week that's making that type of money. And he did. Yeah. 
And it's it's always those for him, it's always those no brainer for him at like a no brainer analysis of you don't have to make things complicated. Keep it simple. You know, and that's a good thing for investors as well. They should invest in things that they know. Sure. All right. Uh, my third question. Uh, do you have an online tool for building or growing your business, your favorite online tool? Great question. So <laughs> I leave that up to the others. And I know that we do use uh, uh, Microsoft, the, the Asana, I think it's called, Ansana or Asana. Yeah. Um, but I got to tell you, I, uh, I prefer not to be indulged in that so much. I prefer to be able to glance at it quickly. Uh, I feel that my strengths are much more suited for things like we're doing, uh, things like networking constantly. I, I make a point of meeting new people every single day. I make a new point of asking others in my industry. I don't see them as my competitors. I see them as always a potential partner. I feel that if you go into and you think that everybody in your industry is your competitor, you're going to miss out on some great opportunities. So I make a point of connecting with people daily and meeting uh, with new people daily. I have a whole list every day marked out, very scheduled. Here's this person, this person, this person. Here's who I'm meeting. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. And very, I like that. And uh, so I do spend a lot of time doing exactly what we're doing meeting new people, conversing and sharing ideas. So I know the tool that we do use is, is that Microsoft tool. Um, I think I pronounced it wrong, but um, that, yeah. that's what we use. And I, I go in on occasion from a 30,000 foot view. Fantastic. Uh, my fourth question is, if you could give your 20 year old self a piece of advice, what would it be? Ha, <laughs> play more tennis. No. <laughs> Um, and that's always a, a phenomenal question. So I, I, I guess in, uh, in maybe for me, it would be, uh, because I love biotechnology so much, it would have been go to medical school way back then. And because I was young, I had that opportunity. I could have, um, and I would have loved to have, to have been, a medical doctor, but not necessarily practicing. I would have loved to have had the depth of knowledge. Uh, I do learn a lot about it. I do spend an enormous amount of time every day reading all about it, uh, about what we do in the medicinal cannabis and mushroom. I mean, today I had a, you know, an hour and a half long call with our lead scientists on the medicinal mushroom side. And I'm learning and I, I love doing that every day, each and every day. I, I'm reading you know, pretty heavy scientific journals. And I slowly but surely absorb it and start to understand the, the deep lingo that they use. Um, but I do wish if I was to go back a number of years and say, okay, Jeff, what would you do now? I would have liked to have gone to medical school. And then, as I said, not necessarily become a practicing doctor, but just to have had that really cool depth of knowledge, I think would have been what I would have told myself. I think it's an amazing to be a doctor, I think, is an amazing thing. I think it really is. Right. No, I agree. And I think it, if you had known all of those details, it would have helped you cover every aspect of your current business. I mean, I, I know now you can probably catch up reading the journals, but it, right. would, it would make it so much easier if you had studied it, right? 
Very true. And, and by the way, and not just being a medical doctor, but also becoming, you know, a, a PhD in some kind of a biotechnology field is great too. Something, something to do with science, something to do with creating medicines that can help people. That I think is something I would have said to myself way back then, go this route, learn, educate yourself. It doesn't mean you have to become that. You're still going to be really young but go do it and learn it and then figure out what you want to do after that. I mean, we come out of school really early nowadays. We, we don't, if you're not going on to become a doctor or a lawyer or something, I mean, you get out of school, you're 21, 22, and you know, you don't know what you want to do. No, no. Right. And you know, you, you go into something and you know, you spend your time trying to figure it out and that's okay. That's life. But that's why I think personally, I would have liked that structure and rigidity of, of medical school or something like that and you know spent another six seven eight years going through that whole process okay so we have time for the final question which sure. is how many hours of sleep do you get every night great question so uh sleep is actually a big big thing on our uh in the science that we're conducting it's funny you mentioned sleep um and uh we we do we actually put a lot of work into sleep We'll, we'll get into that maybe at a later date. Sure. Um, but for me, I generally wake up at around uh, 4.30, somewhere around there. Uh, I love coming down, having my beautiful coffee. I'm passionate about coffee. It's got to be really good coffee. Sure. By the way, the coffee that we use is Tanzanian Peaberry, which is one of the world's best coffees every year, rated number one, two, three. That's the coffee we use in our product. So... Anyway, I love having that cup of coffee and I love observing. So I go outside and I just stare around, look around at the stars. It's pretty early in the morning. So, but I get to see the beautiful stars early in the morning and that's kind of my meditation time. So I get up bright and early and then I generally go to maybe about nine ish at nighttime. And uh, at around nine ish, I start to get tired. I know when I'm tired, I know when I can't give it my 150%. Then I know it's time to shut it down. Um, I may turn on the news a bit and listen to all the, the garbage that's on the news. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, and then, then I get excited to go listen to one of my audiobooks, and I, I fall asleep like that. I, I do. Fortunately, I do sleep very, very well. I mean, so if I get into bed at nine ish and I, you know, have to sleep really hard from say 10 to four 30, I've had six and a half, seven hours of great sleep. And for me, that works. For everybody, there's usually a different kind of zone that works for them. A lot of people need a little bit more. And some people I know function on actually less. Uh, for me, I've found my kind of rhythm. It works well. During the day, if my eyes get tired, I may take a nap. And that nap is usually, well, not usually, it is never any more than 30 minutes maximum, ever because then you start getting into a deeper REM and then you, you mess up your, your whole clock for the day. But for me, a 30 minute nap um, just becomes absolutely perfect. My eyes get nice and awakened again. I'm ready to rock and roll. So I don't do it every day, but um, you know, I'd say every other day, I probably have that little 30 minute nap, which really gives me the energy that I need to keep on going. I think I'm going to try that. Yeah. Thank you. It's good. Give it a whirl. <laughs> Well, Jeff, uh, I want to thank you again so much for being on this show. Uh, Rami, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I, I look forward to doing a follow-up and we could talk more about 
we can talk about where we are today and then maybe next time talk about where we've come because it, it will be pretty different pretty soon. So very excited about that. And I want to thank you for your time and, and uh, your interview was brilliant. I loved it. Loved the questions. I love your patience. You're a great listener. Being a great <laughs> listener is such a great quality, Rami. 